want to, to turn in your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke 24. Welcome everyone listening to us on the internet. And uh, I don't know whether you are aware of this, but do you know we're now receiving up to 200 listeners uh, to these messages. Sometimes 250. And uh, so, hello everybody. God bless you, wherever you are. Uh, The title of my message this morning is Saints in the City. Did you see what I did there? Saints in the city. I want to read just a little bit, just the final little piece of uh, the end of the Gospel of Luke. You know the story. Jesus has died. He's uh, come back from the dead. He's commissioning his disciples. And uh, I want to just show you maybe just a little something that hadn't quite occurred to you before. And then share just for a few minutes uh, this morning before we pray at the end. Jesus says to them, let's pick it up in verse 48. We know the story quite well, I think. He says to them, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. What does he mean? He means the Spirit of God, doesn't he? I'm going to send you what my Father has promised But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Uh, All my uh, Christian life, I came to the Lord when I was 18. I've always been in Pentecostal or charismatic churches. So whenever I read this verse, stay in the city until you've been endued or clothed with the power from on high. Hallelujah for that, by the way. How many of you here today are clothed with power from on high? Anybody? A couple of people. That's good news. And here... I always kind of got to the end. Either I thought, oh, this meant you had to wait until you were empowered, or I, my mind went straight to the bit about uh, uh, being empowered. But here's something that maybe, maybe you hadn't thought about before. These disciples of Jesus were from Galilee. That means they were country people. And when you think about Galilee, we've just had a couple of days uh, in Devon with, with my family, and we came back last night. Uh, but when you think about Galilee, think about Devon, think about rolling countrysides, hills, sheep, you know. And, uh, and when you think about Jerusalem, think about, well, maybe not Piccadilly Circus, but uh, building sites, small roads, small... Uh, far too many people living there, all those sorts of things that you associate maybe with a city. And Jesus was saying to these country people, I want you, I don't want you to go back into the country. I want you to stay in the city until you've received this empowerment. And as we know, actually it took them, even after they received the empowerment, took them about five or six chapters before they did eventually leave the city. But even then, After they left the city, these country people, they began to establish churches in other cities. And I want to talk this morning about the work of the gospel in cities. 
Now, we're facing a big dilemma here already. I know that. I can see the dilemma arising already. Is Cambridge a city or not? You know, I have to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. It looks kind of small for a city. And yet, I see signs that say city center. So, I don't know if it's a city or not. I don't know if it's a a proper city or not. But we'll just take it as read for the moment that it is a city. And if you ever want to buy a house here, you discover it's a city. Amen. If ever you want to drive through here, you discover it's a city. And uh, so in the many senses, it's definitely a city. And of course, because of the university, it's hugely influential. The early church moved from the country into the city. And I want to encourage you today... And I want you to feel encouraged today that God has placed you in a city. Or if you're one of the 200 odd people listening to this somewhere else, uh, uh, many of whom, those listening to me, some other place via the net, you're living in a city. I want to talk about the importance of the gospel being in cities. And I want you to uh, maybe be encouraged that although... It's really difficult sometimes to live in a city, difficult to afford it, difficult to drive through it, and all those other headaches that come. It's actually a real strategic thing that God has placed us in a city. The early church, they did eventually leave Jerusalem, as we know. They eventually left Jerusalem, but then they began planting churches, and uh, they planted churches, and if you just have your New Testament, of course, you know exactly where they planted them. They planted them in Philippi, you know, Philippians. They planted them in Colossae. They planted churches eventually in Rome. Uh, they planted churches in Thessalonica. Really, all those bits in your New Testament contents page is really a kind of a tally of where they established churches. And while Galatia, South Galatia is a big area with lots of little areas in it and cities, by and large, your New Testament's contents page contains a real tally of how many churches they established and they tended to be in cities. So why did God lead them like that and why might God lead us in this way today? I have a few thoughts here. These thoughts actually, these first thoughts here come from a guy called David Stroud who did some uh, research into why the gospel works in cities. Let's see if we agree with some of this material, and then then I'm going to preach properly after that, if you see what I mean. First of all, cities, of course, are population centers. You'll know that Cambridge has a lot of people in it if you try and drive here after 10 past 3, through to about uh, half past 6. If you try to drive in Cambridge from about half 3 to half 6, you will quickly work out that a lot of people live here. You'll work that out. You won't need, a, you won't need to be given a, a sheet of statistics to work that out. You'll know that if you try to move around Cambridge in a car, particularly any time after half past three to half past six. Or you'll know that a lot of people work in Cambridge uh, if you try, as we do, to try to get to this place on the A14 early in the morning. You'll work that out. You won't need anyone to come on TV and tell you there's a lot of people live here. You'll know that by having to call upon the fruit of the spirit of patience in your car night and day. 
but particularly during the day. Cities are places where lots of people are. I don't know how many people live in London now, but it's, I don't know, what, what is it? It's many, many, many millions of people live in London. And, uh, and many, many people are attracted to cities. They, they become population centers. And uh, what we learn from the Word of God is that the New Testament records the rapid growth, first of all in Jerusalem and in our Bible school, we looked at this, how the church was, had numbers added to it or was multiplied, depending on which version of the Bible you had. It, it, it describes the growth as plethora. It plethoraed, meaning it was growing and growing and growing inside the cities. And then, as the growth continued, they began to establish churches outside of the city. But what didn't happen is the churches weren't, weren't sent from the country into the city. The churches were established in the city and then they planted into the countryside. In Acts 9 and verse 1 it says this, the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Acts 9.31. Very strange verse. Where did those churches come from? You imagine being Peter, James or John and you get an email to say the churches in Galilee are going well. And you think, what churches in Galilee? We're down here in Jerusalem. How did they come into being? I thought we could, I'd like a nice country parish in Galilee. No, it wasn't God's plan for them. But he says the churches in Galilee and in Samaria and whereas in, in all of um, Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, were strengthened. So the churches were established in Jerusalem and planted out. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians 1, and we read it last, last week. He says, the Lord's message, speaking to the church of Thessalonica, he says, the Lord's message rang out from you, so everyone in your surrounding area, which was uh, Achaia, heard the word of God. So because God was moving in the city, the, the ministry of mission went to the suburbs as well. So the early church, Paul knew what he was doing. Don't think that Paul was guided by angels and the Holy Spirit all the time. He used his head. He thought, where shall we establish churches? Let's go where the people are. And he built churches all over the place like that, but primarily in the cities. Number two, city people are often more open. Now, this is what statistics tell us. You might differ with that. But, you know, there's something about city people. If you, uh, uh, like, like we were just the other day, we were on Dartmoor, which is a big, barren bit of land in the middle of Devon. And we dry, we're driving around Dartmoor and eventually came to this pub now uh, where we wanted to have lunch now, this particular place wasn't exactly like this, actually. I need to be fair. It wasn't exactly like this. But can you imagine going into a rural area where there's like a, a pub or a, or a kind of a restaurant, and as you go in, have you ever done this? Everyone looks around. Who are you? There be strangers in here. And, you know, you're feeling a bit uncomfortable. What's, you know, we're not supposed to be here. Nobody knows who we are. And they're all looking over at, you know, they're all drinking away, but looking over, having their pie, looking over. Who be they? 
because there's a certain a sense of settling, a sense of familiarity. City people are a bit more wide open than that. They can be a bit more uh, uh, open to new ideas. Uh, this is David Stroud's view. He says that people in cities have a great need for community. And they do. Because actually, you can live in London where there's millions of people, but you can be more lonely than if you lived in a village with only 100 people. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You live in a village with 100 people where the population statistic is 111 if you include the animals. And you can be more, you know, it's much more friendly and you know everyone than if you live in London where there's millions of people and you're on a tube every day with your head in someone else's armpit, but you're never talking to them because there, 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 could, be, there could be a loneliness, there could be a coldness. People in cities are attracted by community. In the suburbs, they already have the community. And the church, you see, can be that community for them sometimes. There's a restlessness. People come to the city to, like Dick Whittington, they come to earn their fortune, you know. They come to progress themselves. I remember when I was a little lad, uh, I was never a little lad. When I was a younger lad down in Devon growing up, I thought, one day I'm going to live in London. It was like, it was like the high point of my life. By the way, I nearly made it, didn't I? Just 40, 45 minutes away. I nearly did it. But I thought, one day, I'm going to live in London. Boy, oh boy, I remember spending a few days in London. I was really glad I lived in Devon. But there's that sense of, you know, I'm going to better myself. I'm going to go to the bright lights. People living in London are thinking, oh, one day I'm going to live in New York. And everyone, there's a sense in which people come to start a new life. They, they come and they, they start a new life. Do you know? Do you know of all the people in the UK who are in their 20s, okay, young people between the age of 20 and 29 who go to church, 60% of them go to church in London, in the whole of the UK. 60% of everyone in their 20s that goes to church, goes to church in London. Now you know why you're not married. You, you, you're in the wrong town. There's a train leaving in five minutes. You'll probably be a bit late for the meeting. People are open in the city, you see. Maybe the Holy Spirit knows that. Maybe the, uh, the apostles knew that. Maybe that's why they established these, these city churches. Number three, cities shape the country, of course. And here, just a few ideas, culture, uh, education, media, law, and government. And here's the good news. Here we are in Cambridge. We're here with the baton of the gospel here in Cambridge. In the shadow of one of the great universities of the whole world. If you live in the village, you could lead the school teacher to Jesus. If you lived in a small town, you could lead the headmaster to Jesus. But if you live in a city, 
you might be able to lead someone in the cabinet to Jesus. If you live in a city, you might be able to minister to someone who will become the prime minister. If you live in a village, you can lead the local photographer for the local paper to Jesus. But if you live in a city, you might be able to lead a Hollywood producer to Jesus. And so these are incredible, incredible places to be. We should relish the task that we have of being in such an influential place. And sometimes it's not about winning hundreds and hundreds of people, although, of course, there is that. But maybe as we move upon people of influence, the people who live in cities, they shape the nation. Not only do cities have people who shape the nation, but cities have people in who are from the nations. And this is the last part here. Of course, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he didn't have to go to all the world that day because all the world had come to him. And there he was standing on the steps outside the temple or inside the courts of the temple, preaching away to the nations. He didn't get in a boat and go to, to the Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, and parts of Libya, around Cyrene. Uh, these are the people who were on the day of Pentecost, you, you, you understand. He preached to the nations because the nations had come to the city. 2,000 years ago, about one-third of the people living in Jerusalem were foreign. They weren't the normal residents. They'd come from outside. And what's interesting is, if, if I've read my facts right, that's roughly how it works today. In many cities, about one-third of the people, because there are going to be exceptions, depending on which city it is, but about one-third of the people living in Cambridge are not from Cambridge. So you want to be a missionary. You want to be a missionary to Afghanistan or a missionary to China, a missionary to the Middle East. You want to be a missionary to Poland or to the Philippines. Really, you just have to go up and buy a paper from that shop up there, don't you? You don't even need your passport to walk down Mill Road. You might need a gun, but you don't need a passport to walk up and down that road. Because the nations come to the city. And by the way, looking out here today, you should say amen more than anyone, because here you are. Here you are. Here you are. And in the work of the international outreach, the, the nations, you see, have come here. That's why the teams come each year and give their time to talking to people from because the nations come to the city. So it's good to be in a city. It's good to be a church in a city. It's good to be have a ministry in a city. Let's now that was my introduction. Now now let me preach. What qualities then might we need to have an impact on a city. Given all that background information, what, might we, what kind of people might we need to be? Here's just three simple ideas before we finish. Number one, 
We're going to have to love the city. And we're going to have to engage with it. It's not just enough to live here. We have to love here. Can you say that with me? It's not just enough to live here. Say it. We have to love here. Now there's not much lovable about the A14. There's not much lovable about trying to get through the traffic lights at the Catholic Church at quarter to five. There's not much to love about that. But do you know, God requires us to love our city. God loves Cambridge, right? I know God, you know, doesn't use the A14. God doesn't pay the council tax here. And so there's certain costs that we have, you know, to be in a city. But God loves the city. When Jesus arrived at Jerusalem, in the Gospel of Luke 19, verse 41, it says, when he arrived and he saw Jerusalem, he began to weep over it. Now, he was weeping for a whole load of reasons. But he was weeping out of his compassion for Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. And where God had sent him, he was going to love. Now, you've got to understand Jesus knew exactly by the Holy Spirit what was going to happen in that city. He told the disciples, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be killed. So he knew that as he was arriving in his latest missionary journey, he knew there was no one there who was going to be a huge blessing to him. He knew that once the Hosanna party was over, within a few days, he was going to the cross. But the heart of Jesus was moved by the city of Jerusalem. And I want to ask you today, is your heart moved for this city? Because if it isn't, we need to pray at the end, God, please, will you give me a love for this city? That God might break my heart like he broke Jesus' heart or like he broke his own heart over the city of Jerusalem. We have to love where we are. If God is going to use us, we have to. Because the way that the Spirit of God moves is through love. There's hope, there's faith, but the greatest is always love. And God wants you to love where you are. And those listening on the internet, wherever you are, God requires of you to have a passion for where you are. And you might say, well, I'm only going to be here for two years. Two years is a lifetime. Because actually, we're not even promised tomorrow. This might be your last address. The postcode you've got right now, that, that might be your last one. That might be where you're going to end your days. Who knows? Wherever we are, we must be in love. And we must engage with it. How exciting, how exciting to have Mel out last night. And Mel, I'm sure you'll listen to this either now or sometime later. God bless you, girl. Because we've got to engage with the city. We've got to love the city. And loving the city is not sitting here loving it. Loving the city is loving out there. 
where the broken glass is, where it smells of booze. That's loving the city. Loving the city is, is going uh, into homes, as we do here, where people have their finances all in a mess, and, and extending the love of God to them. The verses in Matthew 25, where Jesus speaks about the sheep and the goats, here in verse 35, verse 36. If you see someone naked, clothe them. If you see someone hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them to drink. If they're sick, visit them. If they're in prison, take care of them. Go visit them. Those verses can change any city. A bit of preaching on the street, standing on a box, screaming repent, may touch some lives. But how many more lives can be touched when we put into action the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the problem, I think, in many, many churches, and please, please forgive me if this offends you, but the problem many churches have is that people in the churches think that this thing about being fed and clothed and looked after is for them. But actually, God is calling all of us to go and do that work for others. We're not just supposed to be the recipients of being blessed. We're supposed to be a blessing. Why would you want to be blessed if you can't be a blessing? So we must love the city. We must engage with it. And sometimes, let me tell you, when you engage with the city, they don't say thank you. They don't send you a card. Thank you very much. Last night, the team helped people out in central Cambridge. They'll never get a post-it note from those people saying, thanks. Some of them will swear at them. Some of them will laugh at them. So we must be motivated, not by gratitude, but by passion. Number two, we must love the city. Secondly, we must live in the city. Now, of course, this, uh, uh, I need to be careful here because lots of us don't live exactly in the city. Maybe if we had a bit more money, we would. But more, more what I'm thinking is we must settle. We must settle. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. Let's see what he says to the Israelites. It's in Babylon. My memory serves. Jeremiah 29. And this is the word of the Lord that came to them. Most people know Jeremiah 29 verse 11. You have it on your fridge, on your t-shirt, written in your Bible, underlined. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But in the early verses, we find out exactly what the plans are. (laughs) You're going to have fun now when you read this. How many of you love the plan of God? Hold up your hand. Are you sure? Because you're going to find out what it is now. Are you sure? Because look, what does he say to them? Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel. This is what he says to those I carried into exile. From Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what he says, verse 5. Build houses and settle down. 
plant gardens and eat what they produce. Brackets, or go to Tesco in Bar Hill. Close brackets. Verse 6, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What's he saying? Settle down. There. They said, well, we're only going to be here for a short time. We're in exile, you know. Yeah, we're in exile. It's all been prophesied. We're in exile, but the Lord will move us on shortly. Do you know what? The Lord did not move them on at all. How long were they there? 70 years? Is that right? 70 years? And the prophet has to come to them and say, this is what I want you to do. Unpack your suitcase. Unpack your suitcase. Because you're staying here. For a long time. If you read through the scroll carefully, you'll see it says 70 years. So, settle down, plant things, because you're going to be here to harvest them, you see. And get your sons and daughters married off. I know some of you would love that too. But get them married off, and they'll... Also, their children, your grandchildren are going to get married here and all. He's saying, you're going to be here for a long time. Don't think of yourself as transient, but think of yourself as permanent. There are far, far too many Christians who don't get involved in their local church. And the reason why is because they're living under a spirit, uh, I don't mean a demon, but uh, an attitude of transience. Well, I won't get involved because I'm leaving soon. Well, I tell you, some people come and they could be in a church for four or five years, which is longer than pastors could even be in a church. Am I telling the truth? Sometimes. So unpack your suitcase, he says to them. Live here. Settle here. Even if uh, someone were to be a part of Cambridge University and, and just be here for two or three years, what an impact they could have if only they obeyed the will of God. If only they did what God required of them instead of what was pleasurable to them. To serve their city, love their city, engage with their city, live in their city. And as we read, of course, live differently from it. Live differently from it. Thumb back in your Bible to Genesis 11. I want you to see something else. Genesis 11. I said so much about that whole thing about transience on another message called Harps of Babylon. Go back through the audio page of our website. Click Harps of Babylon. Harps, like playing a harp. Harps of Babylon. And there's a whole message about about settling somewhere and serving somewhere instead of thinking, well, I'll soon be gone, so I won't do nothing. That's not God's will on any day of the week. Jesus Christ's ministry, if we are to follow tradition, was three years only. And he achieved quite a lot, don't you think, in a short time. So, so can all of us. So we must live in the city, but we also have to live differently as well. 
Genesis 11 speaks about one of the first cities, wasn't the first one, but one of the first cities which was Babel. Babel. And you know the story, they built a tower, didn't they? The Tower of Babel, you remember that from Sunday school? The Tower of Babel. And just picking up in verse 4, the people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. You all with me reading it? That reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They say, look, let's build an amazing city and make a name for ourselves. Sometimes people who come to a city think like that. You know, like I was saying earlier, I want to live in London one day. I want to go to the bright lights. I want to live in New York one day. What we mean is, I want to better myself. But let's be very clear now. This is what the Word of God says to us. Actually, we're not supposed to live like that at all. We are here for His glory. <coughs> and do you know what? It's possible that you came to Cambridge for your glory, but hear the Word of the Lord right now. You are not here for your glory. You're here for His glory. And you need to change your thinking. I'm here in this city at such a time as this for his glory. We have to live differently. We have to live here. Settle here. Make friends here. But live differently. My dear friend Wesley will forgive me if he hears this online. But he was part of this church for many years. He was a Sri Lankan and he'll forgive me if he, if he, if he hears this. Won't you, Wes? God bless you. Amen. I remember a time he wanted to be part of, uh, there was a, a society, he was Sri Lankan, and there was a society called the Sri Lankan Society, something like that. And they went out and did a lot of drinking, and they were living like ordinary young people live. And I kept saying to him, I want you to go join the society. He said, I can't join the society. They, they, they drink and swear. And I said, I want you to join the society. Go with them. Because we're supposed to be the friend of tax collectors and sinners, not their foe. We're not supposed to hide in our churches away from the world. We must love our city. We must engage with our city. We must live with our city and we must go and live differently in front of them. Well, I'm not sure I fully persuaded him. Except one night an email came through. Was it a text? I can't remember. I think it was a text. I looked on my phone and it said, I have gone to the society. Pray for me. But he did the right thing. Do you know, we have a counterculture, or we should do, in the kingdom of God. We live differently, don't we? Don't we? We live differently. And it's good to live differently in here. It's also good to live differently out there. In front of people. Don't be afraid. You're not going to turn into a pillar of salt. There may be one or two places where I just would not go. I just don't think it's appropriate for me to go. But in, 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 in a missional context, we're supposed to go and live differently in front of people. So don't join the Babel Society. 
where let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make all the money we can. Oh, I want to be a better person. That's why I'm here. I want to be a better person. Well, thank God if you do become a better person. But you are here in the city for the glory of God. And if you're not, then you're not here in the will of God. And something's gone wrong with your heart. Retune your heart today. I must finish. Finally, finally, we must look to the Lord in the city. <laughs> it's because the city can be a big place. You think, how can we do anything, you know? I put here, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so I've got some news. Are you ready for this news? We can do it. We can impact the city. We can impact some of the movers and shakers here. We can impact the great and the small. And I use those terms very loosely, of course. But we all know what I mean by that. We can impact the great and the small. We can have an influence. We can share the gospel with people who one day will be in the cabinet of our country. And we can also help people who will never be able to even thank us for anything, but we can give them a flip-flop. Don't be intimidated. In the days of the early church, with this I've finished, the days of the early church, Paul used to chat with folks and used to say, you know what, I've got a vision. My vision is to take the gospel to where? Do you know? It's on the screen, isn't it? Rome. Rome. You imagine being with Paul in his house group or something like that, sitting with Paul going, so come on, Paul, tell us, well, I, I'm going to Rome. And you can imagine them looking at him like, you're going to Rome. You're going to die, sweetheart. You're going to Rome. Haven't you seen Rome? Let me lend you my DVD of Gladiator. They kill people there with tigers. I've seen it. You're going to go to Rome. They crucify people there. People are killed there. Even the prophet told Paul, you're going to be tied up when you go there. But what was in Paul's heart? Something, I think, very different to what's in ours. He had a, well, Jesus has conquered over all inside him. And so off he went to Rome to preach the gospel in Rome. Do we know that a church was established in Rome? Of course it was. You have a letter to it in your Bible, don't you? To the Romans. And as you look back through church history, you travel to Rome today, you see quite a bit of evidence of Christianity of a kind. But the early church conquered the greatest city on earth. And no one had a mobile phone. No one had a projector. They did not follow each other around on Twitter, but just with a few scrolls, a loud voice, a donkey, and the anointing of God, they took the city for God. We can do the same.